First uh, John chapter 2, let's all stand together, we'll reverence the reading of God's Word. First John chapter 2, I'm completing a message uh, really started last week and uh, on children, fathers, and young men, and you'll see where that name came from as we go along. First John chapter 2 and verse 12, I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. I write to you fathers because you have known Him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. And may God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. This great passage discusses spiritual maturity. John, at the time of this writing, was the last living apostle. And he is writing so that people would have confidence in their salvation. And he makes that very plain in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. You see, then and now, there were far too many people who had a hope-so salvation. But God wants us to have a no-so salvation. And I hope that's the kind of salvation you have today. And if you don't, then I hope by the end of this message that you'll be looking at some things that... Uh, maybe we'll help you know for sure because God tells us you can know. You can know right where you sit that you are a child of God and you are headed for heaven uh, when you, or your time on this earth comes to an end. You have a no-so salvation. And one of the best indicators of that is growth. The very fact that something is alive uh, means that it is growing. Living things grow. So it makes sense to us, since John wants us to have assurance of our salvation, of our spiritual life, that he's going to talk to us about spiritual growth. Living things grow. Whether it's that tree that we have out in the yard that we have to trim back every couple of years, or the shrubs that we have to trim two or three times a year, or the grass that we have to mow every single week and sometimes twice a week, even in the summer because we're getting so much rain and hadn't it been wonderful, uh, or, uh, or, or, the, or the hair that we go to the barbershop and get cut, and two weeks later we got to go back again, or the whiskers that we shave today that we have to shave again tomorrow because there's no such thing as once shaved. Shaved, always shaved. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Living things grow. Flowers, whatever, they all grow. And it's true in the spiritual realm as well. You see, the Bible presents us as having an outer or fleshly man and an inward or spiritual man. And Paul mentioned that in Ephesians 3 in a passage we looked at a few weeks ago, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. The outward man, the fleshly man, is subject to decay and decline and to death. But the inner man is created in Christ Jesus, and it is designed by God then to constantly experience renewal so that 2 Corinthians chapter 4 tells us, though our outward man perishes, 
Yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And it's for that reason then that we don't faint. And the word there means to lose heart or to give up. Maybe you know somebody this morning who's given up on their faith. Maybe you're dangerously close to being one of those people right here where you sit this morning. You've known people who've given up on life at all. They've just given up. And part of the reason why I'm convinced that a lot of people give up on their faith and maybe even give up on life altogether is because they do not experience the renewal of the inward man that God intends for us to experience. And that renewal is what gives us that sense of life and, and that sense of purpose and, and that joy that is unspeakable and full of joy, glory. We cannot get that in the power of the flesh uh, there's not enough food to eat. There's not enough miles to run. There's not enough iron to pump to give you that spiritual renewal that you long for. Not that these other things can't give you a temporary buzz, but we need more than that. We need that spiritual renewal of the inward man that is the result of the process of spiritual growth so that even though our outward man perishes, yet the inward man gets stronger and stronger and stronger. In our text this morning, John uses the human body, specifically the human male, to speak of a, a child, then to young men and to fathers. And he goes through that list twice with certain variations. We looked at the children last week, and remember that children were spoken of as having these two things. Uh, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. It is a wonderful thing to know that your sins are forgiven, to know that you have been to the cross of Calvary and received the free pardon of your sins. You have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have received that promise that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know your sins are forgiven. More than that, you know that God is your Father and that you are secure in that relationship because God never gives up on His children. God never turns His back on His children. Uh, that means that in Him, His love is secure. As Paul said in Romans chapter 8, there is nothing that shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's never going to stop loving you. You're always His child. And that may be the sum total of your spiritual understanding this morning. That's no small thing. To know that your sins are forgiven, to know that God's your Father. But God doesn't intend us, uh, for us to settle down with those things. That's what a spiritual child knows. Being a spiritual child has nothing to do with how long you've been saved or how old you are. But at the same time, being a, a spiritual child is, is not something that is guaranteed by the fact that you've been a spiritual child for a long time. Wherever you are today, God can begin to mature you and grow you in your faith. We don't want to settle down. And the way to avoid that, as Simon Peter told us in 1 Peter chapter 2, and we looked at it last week, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. How do we grow? We grow in our knowledge and understanding of the word of God. Now, with those things in our memory, we brought ourselves up to speed. We think not only this morning, then of the children, 
But we move on to the young men. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. The second stage then that's mentioned in this passage of spiritual maturity is a young man. Now the transformation from a child to a young man or woman is marked by what we call puberty. Children grow and change rapidly during this time. If they are properly nourished and properly nurtured, they will move through this process and very soon, in a matter of only a few short years, be ready for young adulthood, be ready to move out on their own and assume responsibilities for themselves in their own life. Puberty is never an easy process on anybody. For guys, it brings lower voices. If you've ever raised a boy, you know what it's like to suddenly hear a strange voice of a young man in your house. Then you've been used to hearing that cracking voice for a while, and it goes up and down, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he's growing stronger and building muscles, sprouting a beard, and got pimples, new teeth, more times not braces. Brings driver's license, full contact sports, cell phones, peer pressure taken to a whole different level. All of a sudden, in that young man's life, there's a different awareness of girls. All of a sudden, there's awkwardness. Awkwardness. And that other A word, attitude. Oh. Attitude that comes along too. But when John writes to these young men, he, he doesn't use a word that describes that uh, uh, a young uh, teenager, that person going through puberty, but that person that now is fully grown. Even though they are fully grown, though, they're still struggling. They have all these grown up physical attributes, but they don't have the experience and mental growth to handle all that. Young adulthood is, is marked almost by definition by a whole lot of ups and downs and a whole lot of successes and failures and trials and errors. We know that. Now a Christian who has grown into this stage spiritually has done so through the nourishment of the Word of God. He's learned the Word of God. He has learned some truth. Listen, there is no other way to grow. Remember Simon Peter said it? You desire the sincere milk of the Word so that you may grow thereby. And Peter writes in, or John writes in, so that we can be assured that even though there's some, some ups and downs in our life, even though there's some trials and errors, even though there's some pitfalls maybe that we've got into, he writes to them and he says it twice so that they'd know that they have overcome the wicked one. You have overcome the wicked one. You're strong. The word of God abides in you then, he says, and you have overcome the wicked one. That might be hard for us to understand if we think only in terms of the fact of the idea that the wicked one is out there to tempt us to sin. I want to show you a passage of scripture real quickly. James chapter 1 and verse 14 says, Every man is tempted 
when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. You see, it was that Bible scholar Flip Wilson who popularized the idea that the devil made me do it. Look it up on YouTube. That's all I can tell you. And we have that kind of permeated in our theology and our thinking that every time we sin, it was the devil that led me into that. But I want you to know that the devil is not primarily interested in tempting us to sin. That's not really the way he operates. In fact, the Bible very specifically says that we don't need the devil at all to sin. Our own lust, that comes from our, from our own flesh, our own fleshly desires, our mind right up here, our heart right in here is perfectly capable without any help from anybody of generating lust and enticing us and bringing us then into sin. And that sin can have devastating, even deadly consequences. James meant no words. Sin will kill you. That sin doesn't come from the devil. It comes from us. What then does the devil do? The devil entices us to believe wrong things. His primary business is lies and deception. And for the most part, he is lying to us and deceiving us about God. That's how he started out in the Garden of Eden. He questioned the Word of God. Did God really say? He then lied about what God said. Well, if you eat of this, you're not truly going to die. That, that's not the truth. So he got Eve then to believe something that wasn't true. That's how he went after her. And say, well, he tempted her uh, to sin. Well, actually, he tempted her to believe wrong things. If we could ever get it down in our mind that most of our bad behavior comes from bad beliefs, we'd have a big, big step on the devil in our resistance against him. What he tries to do is get us to believe wrong things because he knows that if we believe the wrong things, we'll do the wrong things. That's the way it works. Our own lusts and desires then are constantly at work. And those things, unfortunately, are never going to go away. We're going to struggle with the flesh as long as we're alive. The great apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 described his own struggle with the flesh when he said, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Well, my goodness, old Paul just need to grow some. Huh? What's wrong with you, Paul? Well, he was honest. All of us could say the exact same thing. There are times in our life, no matter how spiritually mature we come, no matter how far along we get in our life, there are times when we're going to do the very thing that we don't want to do, and there are times that we don't do the things that we set out to do. And Paul said, when that happens, then he says, I know what it is. There is sin that's dwelling in me. That is in my flesh, because in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. You see, we're always going to struggle with the flesh. So when the Bible warns us about the work of the devil in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says that he is, uh, it warns us of the coming man of sin, saying his coming is after the working of Satan. That is what Satan is doing right now with all powers and signs and lying wonders. The devil is still preaching his false religion in the world. 
For all of our education and sophistication in the modern world today, this generation is buying into some of the most colossal lies in history. People who believe the devil's lies believe them passionately. And they do so with religious zeal and fervor. A false religion breeds a false reality and false religion combined with human passion and reason and zeal almost always leads to violence that forces people to try to impose their beliefs on others. And it doesn't matter whether they have believed a false version of Christianity. Many have, and in fact, that's the devil's favorite lie is to lie to people about Jesus Christ and give them a false version of Christianity. Or whether they're believing in no God at all and they're believing that uh, new kind of idea that the universe, capital U, created itself and it created everything else. They believe it passionately. Either way, whether they're believing the wrong things about God and Jesus Christ or whether they're believing the wrong things about the whole world and the universe. Either way, it's demonic deception. And the devil is having a field day spreading these lies today. Multitudes of people are believing them. John then writes to a young man because he is one that has overcome that. He has embraced the Word of God. He's learned the Word of God. He understands a, a lot of biblical truth, and, and he sees how that it fits together. He understands that the Bible is God's Word to us, that it is our rule and God for our faith and practice. He, he believes in uh, that it is the inspired Word of God. He's embraced it as the authority in his life, and he knows what is true, and he knows what is not true, and he is not listening to the devil's lies. He didn't listen to the false gospel. He's received Jesus Christ as his Savior. Uh, he knows that God is his Father. He then knows biblical truth, and he is not going to be wavered from that so though he might make some bad steps along the way he might fail in some areas in his life he might make some mistakes certainly he will but yet John could look at him and say I want to encourage you young men because you have overcome the devil. You've overcome him because you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have overcome him because you are not going to be fooled by the devil's lies. No matter how many college professors tell them to you, no matter how many of your peers tell it to you, you're going to stay anchored in the Word of God. You've overcome the wicked one. You may be tempted by a lot of things. I may be tempted by a lot of things. But I'm not ever tempted to deny the Word of God. That's set and settled with me. I'm not ever tempted to deny the second coming of Jesus Christ. I know that He's coming. And I know that it could be any day. I know He's coming. That doesn't, that, that, that's not something that I'm going to be tempted with. The idea that uh, maybe that the, the universe has created itself, that doesn't tempt me a bit. Uh, I don't care. I've listened to all the arguments. I've studied them. I'm sorry. That science has no plausible explanation for the origin of life. None at all. None. They're not even close. They can't explain how the universe exists. They have no scientific theory that explains what they know is going on out there. They have to invent stuff to try to make it fit with their theories. I am rock solid. 
that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I have no problem with that. That's, that's not something that anybody, not that, no. And listen, if you're solid on those things, if you have the Word of God as your center, and you, you, it abides in you, and you're, you're strong, because you know that the Bible is God's Word, and you know that the Bible is true, and though you may not always do what the Bible says, you always know that the Bible is right, and I'm wrong. If you're there, you've overcome the wicked one. Because what his main business is, is getting people to believe lies. So he writes to the children because they know that they're saved and they know God loves them. He writes to the young men because they've overcome the wicked one, because they're strong and the word of God abides in them. Lastly, he writes to fathers. Fathers, and he says the exact same thing twice, because you have known him who is from the beginning. Now, when a spiritual father is discussed, then John points us to that twice. You have known him who is from the beginning. This isn't the knowledge of a child who rejoices because he knows that his father God loves him. This is a relationship of a grown-up who knows God's word and who knows the God of the word. He knows the Bible but he knows the God who wrote the Bible. This is a person who understands then that God is a God of purpose, that he has been working this purpose, as John says, from the beginning. This is a person who has studied and who has learned and who has grown and developed in his relationship with God to the point that he knows that God is a God of love and a God of mercy and a God of grace. He knows that God has been working the same plan from the beginning, and that plan is called the redemptive purpose of God in Christ Jesus. He knows that God has never gotten off task. God is never distracted. He is constantly moving in accordance with that purpose. He knows that God is faithful and trustworthy. He has a deep, deep relationship with God. Yes, he knows the Bible, but he knows the God of the Bible. I've shown you Jeremiah 9, 23 before, but I'm, I'm going to do it again because it's such a great passage. And, uh, you know, I don't stop singing Amazing Grace. I'm not going to tear that out of the hymnal and say, well, been there, done that. I like singing Amazing Grace a bunch of times. Anybody else with me this morning, huh? I like looking at Jeremiah 9, 23 and a whole lot of others a whole bunch of times. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight saith the Lord. Wisdom is good. Get all you can. Education, great. Get all you can. Build up your strength. You're going to need it. You sure will. Riches. The Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. <laughs> the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Big difference. But don't glory in those things. You got a good education, you're a strong person. 
you have accumulated a certain amount of wealth, be thankful. But what do I want to glory in? What you glory in is understanding God and knowing Him. Life's greatest treasure is understanding in Him. What's it look like? Well, it's Abraham on Mount Moriah with Isaac on the altar, knowing all the time that God was going to provide Himself with a lamb. It's Moses saying uh, before God, God, let me, let me see your face. It's Elijah going to heaven on a flaming chariot, but leaving his mantle for Elisha because he knows that the work has to go on and it does go on. It's, it's Joseph uh, saying to his brothers, you meant this for harm, but God meant it for good. It's Jacob uh, limping on his thigh and then leaning on his staff and still blessing his family with a new name and a new life. It's those Hebrew men saying, but if not... If you're not familiar with the story, it was those men who were facing uh, the fiery furnace. And they said, our God is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, <laughs> we're still not going to worship your image or bow down before you. But if not, oh, yeah, three great words. We're just getting warmed up good. It's a Hebrew a shepherd boy who brought rocks out to face a giant. Listen, we could go on and on with it all day. It's people, regardless of their age, young or old. Remember, it's not about how long you've been saved. It's not about how much gray hair you have. It's about the maturing of your faith. It can happen very quickly. It can take a whole lifetime it's that person who has progressed from just knowing their sins are forgiven, knowing that God's their father, to having the word of God deeply ingrained in their life so that it becomes their authority and what shapes and, and determines their life on the authority of God's word, to being that person who is completely confident in his relationship with God, who not only knows the Bible, but knows the God of the Bible. And it shows up. No matter what life throws at you, it shows up because you know that God is trustworthy, that He's a God of purpose, that He is never off track, He never gets distracted, never off task. And the more you know Him, the more you want to know Him. Paul, the great apostle, who traveled so far in his life, who accomplished so many great things, summarized his life ambition in one sentence, that I may know him. You say, well, Paul, don't you already know him? But yeah, I want to know him. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to be made conformable unto his death. If by any means then that his life might come alive in my life. I know him, but I want to know him. Children, young men, fathers. Children, young adults, fully mature, 
able to help others. That's the process that God wants us to go through in life. I want to remind you one more time this morning. You might have been saved for a long time, and you'd have to admit that really all I know, know for sure, I know I'm saved. I know God's my Father. And I want you to know that God has more for you than that. And the fact that you might have been saved for a long time is not a liability to the fact that God can meet you right where you are and start showing you His Word and His truth. As you open it up and say, God, this is your book, I, I want to learn more about it. If you need help, <laughs> hey, if it's one thing that a preacher loves to hear, it's that I don't understand this, would you please tell me what it means? Now, I'll warn you, you ask a preacher what time it is, and this one will tell you how to build a watch. I, I, I warn you, that, that's, that's kind of the way I am. But I want you to know God's Word. I don't want to stand before God. And have him tell me, Rich, you didn't help those people. You didn't make my word available to them. I don't want to face that. But I want to challenge you. Let's grow in our faith. God will bless us and God will bless our church if we'll do it. Let's stand together.